Thank you for joining us here today at Calvary Church, where we are committed to loving God and loving people. If you have any questions or want to learn more about who we are, visit us online at calvary.ca. Now let's check out this week's message. Well, greetings, dear Calvary friends. Uh, what a heritage to have the same home church all my Christian life since I was eight years old. And uh, we love you very much, and I, we feel the love coming back from you uh, over the years, and especially while the 37 years we've been in missions that you've sent us out uh, to Haiti all those years ago. Uh, I just flew in from meetings in the United States, and uh, before that, I was in, Carol and I were in uh, Hungary, and we were in Romania, and also in uh, Croatia. Actually, the war broke out in Israel while we were in Croatia, along with our Israeli friends that were there, and uh, Michael Sadovsky and his wife and, and two kids were with us in a conference, and uh, they're stranded in Europe, so they couldn't get back, uh, but they were out of harm's way as far as anything happening to them physically. I'm saddened and I'm sickened, I guess, by what I've seen on, on video and on news channels and video clips. The atrocities of war are, are just terrible. And uh, when we know who the author of war is, which is the devil, his plan is to kill human beings in God's image uh, and uh, before they can ever come to a knowledge of accepting Christ. Uh, we have 35 churches actually in Israel, and um, that's about... 1,200 to 1,500 members, and um, many of them were called up in this last week. Um, not many, I would say 50 to 60 of them, but that's just a lot of young lives that are in harm's way now. And um, in all of Israel, there's about 15,000 uh, Jewish converts or Jews that have accepted Christ as their personal Savior. And uh, there's many prayer initiatives going on right now. I know Calvary's been praying for the lost sheep of Israel, for the war that's going on, for Jerusalem, which we're called. And so I just ask you to make that a matter of prayer uh, on a daily basis, uh, because we know that the, the heartbeat of Jesus is souls. In fact, in Matthew chapter 9, verse nine uh, verses 9 to 13, it says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax office and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus was at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors <clears throat> and disciples came to sit down with, the, with his disciples. And the Pharisees saw this. They said to the disciples, why does the teacher sit with the tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus heard what they were saying. And he said, those who are well do not need a physician but those who are sick. But go and learn this from what it means, I that I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Also it says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, a little further down, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, and I will send out workers into the harvest field. From the 20,000 uh, Yananami Indians deep in the rainforest of the Amazon, <coughs> excuse me, I came back with a, with a bit of a cough, to the Bushmen in the Kalahari, Kalahari Desert in Africa, 
from the Hong Kong businessman in his $3,000 silk suit to the factory owner in Guadalajara City in Mexico, to, from the rich oil sheik of Saudi Arabia to the single mother in a little abode in a shack on the outskirts of Port-au-Prince, from the hundreds of thousands of slave children that we saw in the movie Sound of Freedom, to the millions of refugees that have become part of our planet, from the witch doctor I encountered in rural Haiti, to the Malayan Indian women trying to sell their crafts to me in Guatemala City, and from the prostitutes in Amsterdam to the fishermen in the South China Sea, the heartbeat of Jesus is souls, souls, souls. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, He is patient with you, <coughs> not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Jesus is patiently waiting for souls. My Jesus is interested in the prostitute, the homosexual, the rich businessman, the gang leader in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, the murderer, the kid who stole your wallet, the man that lives down the street from you that may be beating his wife. Jesus is interested in all souls. Our soul is the conscious intellect, the will, the personality, the emotional part of our being, and it lives forever. And John 6, verse 35, it says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Most of the world hungers, and most of the world thirsts, many both physically and spiritually. And who will tell them? That's the question. Carol and I lived in, the, in this third world country of Haiti uh, for nine years. We were sent out originally in, that, in 1985 from Calvary here. And uh, we saw the suffering of poverty, of illiteracy, of unemployment, of voodoo, bondage, of fears, of lawlessness, of hopelessness. We looked around the world and sometimes you get overwhelmed when we hear statistics that there's still two billion people that need to hear the gospel of Christ. But Jesus came for sinners individually and including sinners in your community, in your workplace, in your schools, and you're the key to befriending those non-Christians, those people that still don't know Christ, and win them to Christ and bring them to church. <coughs> Excuse me. Matthew 6, Matthew 9, 11 said, the Pharisees said, why does, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said to them, those that have no need of a physician, there, but those who are sick. And I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Carol and I were just recently in Turkey, actually in, in the spring of this year, we interacting with some of the earthquake victims that are there. We have churches in, in Turkey, and the Lord see what the Lord was doing among this 99.8% uh, Muslim country. Uh, what a challenge Turkey is. Uh, it's referred to in the Bible as Asia Minor. We read about it all the time. A half the New Testament is, is in Turkey. And... Uh, it's now a country that is taken over by false religions, dead church, nothing going on. Actually, today, with a population of about 85 million people, there's only about six to ten to 10,000 born-again Christians in the whole country. 
I was, when we were recently in Croatia last week, uh, I was with Ismail uh, Sarenkin, our leader there, and it was neat. He's got a neat story because uh, he grew up in a Muslim family and uh, he was active in the mosque as his family was. And uh, yet when he came to go to university, he had his doubts, he had his questions <coughs> that he was answer asking. And uh, he encountered a Korean professor. I'm sure he was an underground Christian. And uh, he started having discussions with him over the course of a year until that professor led Ismail to Christ. And that's the beginning of the story. That individual person, uh, Ismail, met another individual that our church in Romania had sent over to Turkey. And she was a young single woman. They married. They've had a family. And uh, they started churches. So the church, we have a church in Antioch. We have a church in Laodicea. And we have a church in Ankara. And uh, it's just kind of neat to see how God pulled this all together. We're talking about Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas spent a lot of time. And uh, that city was pretty well flattened during the earthquake. <coughs> Excuse me. It was flattened during the earthquake. And uh, it, there's an interesting story. I met with uh, Ismail's, or pardon me, with uh, our, our leader from Antioch that was in our Ankara church that Sunday. I was there, and Carol and I were there. And uh, they told us about the earthquake when it hit. It was, they were in a 10-story building. Uh, their kids were on the sixth floor. They were on the 10th floor. They were praying fervently, Lord, Lord, don't let this building collapse. Lord, don't let this building collapse. If you've seen any of the footage of that earthquake, there was 50,000 people killed. Uh, buildings just went down like pancakes. They just toppled down. He said windows were popping out, doors were popping off, and um, God kept that building up all the way through that earthquake, and they escaped everybody in the building with their lives. The father said also his business uh, bu building did not collapse, and all his 25 employees were safe, and they were able to carry on their, their production and keep on going. Another reason we were in, in Turkey at that time was Ismail's oldest son, Roy was getting married, and uh, he was marrying an American girl who was working in Turkey at the Christian school, and uh, <coughs> they became acquainted, and uh, the rest is history. They got married. Uh, she's the daughter of missionaries that are in Africa. So I still think for ourselves, we need, we need non-Christian sinner friends that... Uh, that's where our outreach is. It's not necessarily an outreach in the church because most of the people that you're sitting next to are Christians. And uh, we hope that if there's anybody that's not, they'll find Christ as their personal savior before the end of this service. But it's the lost that he seeks. I'm often saddened that I don't know more non-Christian people. When I was in my secular life of doing business, I ran into them all the time. So they were, there, they were everywhere. <coughs> My son is a, a policeman in Edmonton, and uh, he gets lots more opportunities. He said, Dad, you live in a bubble. A bubble? I said, yeah, a Christian bubble. Well, I probably do. Most all the people that I meet are Christians. Most all the people I interact with are Christians. And so I do. I live in a Christian bubble. He said, Dad, I, I work in hell. 
and every day I go to hell <coughs> because the people I, I deal with, the criminals and even the policemen, uh, all need Christ. And so he's, he's a very strong, bold witness, and uh, he's witnessed a lot. And in fact, two or three of the people, I think, have come to Christ. Three people have come to Christ because of his witness and because of his boldness and that. He said, I'm hoping that one day when I'm, I'm witnessing to those guys and you get that glazed over look in their eyes and they're standing there and they're listening to me but they're not listening to me, that all of a sudden the rapture happens and zip, I'm gone. My clothes fall to the ground. My gun belt falls to the ground. And they stand there with astonished looks and said, I think he's right. So we all are going to have opportunities somewhere along the line to share Christ. I think the ultimate soul winner, of course, was Jesus Christ himself. As he was traveling in Samaria, through Samaria, he stopped at Jacob's well. And it was high noon, and the disciples had gone off to town to buy food. But they knew that at this time of day, probably nobody comes around the well, except the Samaritan woman who was living an adulterous life. And it was her time to come there, and it was Jesus' time to interact with her. And he asked her for a drink of water and then proceeded to tell her that he, who he was and, and what the hope was for her life. And John 4.10 says that if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked for this drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Can we offer our friends, our non-Christian friends and acquaintances a key to finding the living water? I think we can. It's in us. We got it. We found it. And now we want to share it with others. Of course, Satan has blinded so many of them on the path to the living water that uh, he offers the whole world uh, an oyster. He offers the whole world uh, to try this and try that and try all sorts of things of the world. I said, church, you, me, let's disconnect from this world. Disconnect from the worldliness that's in this world. That's not that we're not of the world and, and we're part of the world. But disconnect from the worldly pressures. Sometimes we're so hooked in, we're not even looking up and saying, Lord, when are you coming back? When are you coming back? We just want to do one more thing. We just want to have one more pleasure. So we're still in a war. Not just physical war. We're talking about the Ukraine. And we're talking about Israel right now, but spiritually. Ephesians 6:12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this, of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Satan wants that same soul too, and he's willing to fight for it. He's fighting for your kids. He's fighting for your relatives. He's fighting for your friends. He's trying to win them over to his side. So who do you think is winning in the Ukraine? So I follow the Ukraine quite closely because uh, we send a lot of help to them. But it's Satan that's winning the war in Ukraine. Uh, there's been over 500,000 lives lost on the Russian side. Russia, where we have 20 churches. Ukraine, where we have 225 churches. But they're spilling a lot of blood in the dirt of, the, of Ukraine. And our Ukrainian brothers and sisters are constantly sharing Christ and witnessing to these people and that are very open to the gospel. When there's bombs falling and there's rockets going overhead, People are willing to listen to some solution, and it's very easy to witness. But Satan probably claims most of those 500,000 lives that didn't make a decision before they died. I want to thank Calvary Church for all you've done for the donations for our emergency relief fund 
in the Ukraine. It's been amazing. We've been able to send them thousands and thousands of dollars that they could buy food, medicine. We've even been able to buy generators uh, <clears throat> for the villages that don't have any power. Uh, Dima, our, our head humanitarian guy, ex-drug addict, has a whole bunch of ex-drug addicts as well that are part of his team that deliver this food all through the, the country. They got their helmets, their vests on so that they don't get killed by snipers that when they're going into harm's way. But I thank you, Calvary. Thank you. It's making a big difference. We, we really appreciate it. Do you ever think who the winner is in, in the 1,455 drug overdose deaths in Vancouver in the first seven months of this year? Do we ever think that it's not only it's Satan and only Satan? Of course, Satan ultimately loses this whole battle. We, we read the end of the book. We see that we win in the end. But it's a spiritual battle. And if it keeps on going just the way it is, there'll be 1,455 more lives that'll be taken or more by the end of this year. So it's just in Vancouver alone. So we're talking of uh, all of Canada, the whole world, and, and where he roams incessantly. Just as, as uh, Nicodemus was encountering Jesus in John 3 and 3, he said, Most surely I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Or what the rich young ruler said in Matthew 19, 21, If you want to be perfect, go and sell all you have and give it to the poor, and you have treasures in heaven. Come, follow me. Easy statement to make, but difficult to follow. To, to, to sell all you have, to give all you have, and follow Jesus. So how do we win souls? How do we win souls? Well, you know your enemy, first of all, and you have no fear. In Haiti, I saw how Satan operated very openly and very blatantly. Uh, he's out in the open. I saw the witch doctors and what they could do. I lived in an area where they had deceiving powers over the national people that were there. He deceived many of the people. In Canada, Satan operates a little bit differently here, a little more subtly, but he's mainstream and he's more seducing. He works through music, he works through movies, he works through lifestyle, he works through your phone, he has TikTok and he has chat, Snapchat, and many other things, and now he has artificial intelligence that he can work with and trap people into his web, his technical web. So how do we fight? Well, first of all, in a fight, you need armor. And we, of course, know that Ephesians 6 talks about that. We put on the whole armor of God. Ephesians 6 says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. It could cost dearly, as it costs God. It costs His only begotten Son. It may cost you. It may cost you time. It may cost you your family. It may cost your homes. It may cost your money. It may cost your lives. There's 150,000 martyrs that are killed worldwide every year for the cause of Christ. They've taken a stand for Christ. So we don't know exactly what He's requiring of us. I guess we just ask the question, are you ready? You're God's warriors, and some have work to do, and we most of us reach one soul at a time. 
I was in Romania a few years ago, not, not on this trip, but a few years ago, and I was speaking to this vast audience of people in a village courtyard. Actually, it was 10 people in this village courtyard. And when I finished, I asked if someone would like to receive Christ as their personal savior. And three elderly people, probably my age, three elderly people acknowledged that they did. They'd never heard the story before and they wanted to accept Christ. They came forward and we talked and we prayed together and they accepted Christ. Also in Romania, we have an elderly home. I was at it a week or so ago uh, for the homeless and uh, their goal is to see each one of those people that don't have family anymore uh, come to Christ before they pass away. And we've been able to help them in a lot of different ways and it's just a real worthy place to invest your few, a few dollars of finance. So last month we received uh, an American missionary family and that was exciting as we visited them in Romania as well. And um, they're, they're there with their three children and this is rare, where somebody out of the pew steps out and says, yeah, I'll go. Send me. Send my family. Send my kids. My three-year-old, my seven-year-old, my nine-year-old. And we'll go and we'll go into Haiti. And uh, they're going to work with, well, the wife mostly is going to work with um, children and women that are being trapped in the sex trade business. If you saw the recent movie, Sound of Freedom, You'll know what the evil situation is all about. And Romania, and especially Moldova, right next door, are just hubs of trafficking in that whole area. So there's so many opportunities in all the areas where I operate. But like in Israel there, we just planted three more churches just before the war. And um, as mentioned, 65% of our pastors are ex-drug addicts. It's interesting to to have an ex-drug addict that has not been contaminated by a lot of other Christian philosophies, Christian by whatever he was raised in, Catholicism or Orthodox, or mostly Orthodox, and uh, he's just got a clean slate. He found Christ as his personal savior. All he wants to do is serve the Lord and do it do the best. So 65% of our pastors are ex-drug addicts, and uh, we're seeing those those churches expand and grow. We just started another church in uh, a new church in in uh, Jerusalem. We ask you to pray. That's one of the areas to zero in every day. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, it's in Hebrew and in Russian. Most of all, our Jews that we work with are Russian-speaking Jews. There's a million and a half in Israel, so there's quite a lot to work with. In Luke 15:6 and 7, it says, "And when he comes home." This is what Jesus is talking about when one person accepts Christ. And when he comes home, he calls together the friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep and rejoice with me. I tell you that it is the same way. There is more, more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. First Thess Thessalonians 2.19 says, For what is the hope, what is the joy and the crown that we are with, will glory in in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Psalm 126.5 says, They that sow, they're sowing for souls, they're, they're sowing for, for the, 
the sowing for sinners uh, in tears shall reap with joy. He who is weeping, carrying precious seed to sow, will return with the song of joy, carrying the sheaves with him. So much to rejoice for. Luke 10, Luke 19, 10 says, For the Son of Man comes to seek and save the lost. It's such a thing, it's such a wonderful thing to, to be able to work with people that are seeking the Lord. I guess I'm asking the question, what are you doing with the rest of your life? May I suggest God has a plan? When, I, when he asked me that question 37 years ago, I, I gave him lots of reasons of what I'm doing already with the rest of my life. Thank you, Lord. I've got it all planned out. He said, no, I need you. What are you doing with the rest of your life that I can be a part of? Matthew 28, 18 and 19, which is my, my favorite verses, I guess. All authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore, strong on the go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 29, doesn't tell us to convert anybody. We don't do that. We share that. We share Christ, and the Holy Spirit converts. Interesting how our population here in Surrey and throughout probably most of Canada, uh, the nations have come to us. You might not have to go very far to disciple the nations and all nations he calls us to go to. So let's spread the gospel to our workplaces, to our schools, to our friends, to our relatives. Uh, there's a hunger out there. There's a thirst out there. And if you could just get close to a person that is seeking the Lord and looking for answers, my prayer for many years has been that Calvary will raise up another family like we were back in 1985 and send them out to some place where they have not heard the gospel. There are lots of those places that are there. And so I pray that that will happen. God has given you Calvary and the reason that you're here is for a purpose and you can carry that light that you're getting today and, and have you got over the months and years that you've been here outside these doors. It's not going to all happen inside here. It's going to happen out there as where you, where you interact and where you, where you go on a regular basis. I just like to close with a, a poem that I thought was kind of interesting. It's called the Soul Winner's Poem, and it's, it's uh, God gave me a, thy soul for soul. God gave me thy love for souls, the lost and wandering sheep, that I may see the multitude and weep as thou hast weeped. Help me to see the tragic plight of souls far off in sin. Help me to love, to pray, to go, and bring the wandering in. Help afar off at the altar of God's heart take thou some flaming coal then touch my life and give me love for souls, a, a heart that is hot for souls, a flame, a fire of love, a flame divine. Make thy abode in me. Burn in my heart evermore till I burn out for thee. Lord Jesus, I just pray that even now there be those that are here that need you as their Savior. And as we pray this prayer, that they will open their heart and accept you as their personal Savior. Father God, we just open our lives to you today. We ask you to forgive us our sins. We ask you to come into our heart. We ask you, Lord, that you take control of your life. And Lord, that you'll move me into your purpose 
and yours alone. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.